0: If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to James chapter 2. And if if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles back in the hallway. Um, And if you don't even own a Bible, you can take one of those Bibles. We we would love uh, for you to to take one of those Bibles. So I want you to imagine that um, there's a, a friend, maybe coworker, neighbor, someone that you, you want them to come to know Jesus as their Savior, right? You've been, you've been praying for them. Uh, you've been having conversations with them about Christ, about salvation. Um, and and you, you want to explain to them uh, how we are saved. Eventually, my guess is you would end up in Ephesians two eight nine. Uh, you, you'd go to a bunch of places, but this is one of the scriptures that you would probably go to. So Ephesians two eight nine says, "For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, right? Not the result of works, so that no one may boast." Right? You would want them to understand that we we cannot earn salvation, right? It's not a matter of proving to God, right, that, that we're, we're finally worthy, that we're finally good enough, right? We can't. We can't because we aren't worthy. We aren't good enough. God saves us by his grace through faith, and that's it. Paul makes it very clear, right? It's, it's not works. It's not, it, it's, it, he means by that it's not what you do. It's not these good deeds that, that get you in this right standing, this right relationship with God. And, and this is opposite of every other religion, right? In, in other religions, in some way, you're, you're trying to do your best to earn favor uh, with, with, with God or, or whatever higher power it is that, that you're, you're seeking, uh, Mormonism, they, they have a saying about grace. They say that, that uh, you're, you're given grace after all you can do. And the Bible says you can do nothing to earn. Right? It, it, is, it is only God's grace. Romans 3.28, Paul writes, for we hold that one is justified, and, and justified, it's it's uh, it's legally, it's a legal declaration, right? Um, so uh, we hold that one is is justified, righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. So you're you're the justification is you're you're given this right standing before God. Or as, as a kid, I remember hearing it this way to remember justified. It, it's just as if it never happened, right? Just as if I never sinned. That's how that's how God views me through Christ. Romans 4, 5 says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And if you're even somewhat familiar with the Bible, my guess is none of what we heard from Paul there in those verses is controversial. But let's look at what James writes about faith and works, because it's going to get uh, a little little dicey here, um, or at least it'll appear that way. So I'll take you to two verses before we really get into the passage. The first, the first verse in today's passage, James 2.14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then skip down to verse 24. He says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So it, it looks like Paul and James oppose each other here right Paul's saying works have nothing to do with that justification but it looks like James says faith plus works is what justifies Right? It appears that he questions if faith alone can truly save someone from our offense against God. So we, we've got to ask, what is going on here? And it's going to take a little bit of digging. We've got to put our thinking caps on. We've got to look at what each of them is talking about. And the, the arguments that, that both James and Paul are, are making, um, they're really talking about nearly the same issue, but they're coming at it from different angles, right? And, and you know sometimes language can be tricky. We, we can be talking about the same thing and, and not even realize it. So um, like I had a friend uh, in college. He was from England, right? And uh, we, uh, we, we loved to, to do stuff together. We're just getting to know each other freshman year at Multnomah. And if he said to me, hey, Greg, what do you want to do today? I said, hey, uh, you like sports? I like sports. Let's go play soccer. Well, he would say, I don't want to play soccer. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even really know what that is. I want to go play football. And I'm like, oh, no, dude, I don't like football. Like, I don't like getting hit. I'm not into that. Let's play soccer. He's like, no, no, no. I don't know know what your soccer is. I want to go play football. Well, we're talking about the same thing right? right. They call it football as does the whole rest of the world except for us, but that's another thing. Um, and, and we call it soccer. We're using two different words that mean the same thing, and yet we're missing each other. It, it, there's some of that going on here. So James 2.14, James what good is it, I just read this, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So James is asking us, and we remember from earlier in James, the whole mirror thing, he's holding up a mirror, right? And he's asking us this question. He's having us look at ourselves. He's saying, can that faith save that person? So there's a certain type of faith that he's really concerned with. And he'll describe it in a few different ways in these verses. But he starts here by saying, that there's a faith that's without works, right? This is the faith that he questions if it can save. So what, is, what does James mean when he, when he says works? You might remember last week, James, we talked about the royal law of love, this law of liberty that James writes about. And I read to you from Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked by this, this man, he says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Right? and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So love God and love people. And this is how James thinks about works. It's this outflowing of our faith as we love God and we love people. And James told us that, that this faith, through this question, he says, does it save? Right. He's saying, no, this faith does not save. He'll go on to describe this faith as being useless. He'll say it's a faith that is dead. He'll even compare it to the faith that demons have. You're not doing well when your faith is compared to demons. Let's keep going. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by the way, or by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So verses 15 through 17, right? There's another Christian that's a part of your church, a part of your gathering. And they've fallen on hard times, right? They're, they're barely clothed. What they do have is it's dirty, it's tattered. Uh, they don't have enough food for each day. So you see them, maybe it's, maybe it's at the next church gathering, maybe you bump, into the, uh, bump into them somewhere around town, and you see the condition that they're in, right? And, and, and you ask, like, man, what, what happened? What's, what's going on? And they, they tell you the story. You get in this meaningful conversation. They, they explain the, the hard times that, that, that they've come up against, maybe medical bills piling up and struggling to find work and, and, and truly not, not having enough food for each day. And maybe maybe say, hey, man, we got to pray. So you pray for them, right? Meaningful prayer, crying out to the Lord to provide for them, right? And, and, and as you're praying, you look down at your watch. Maybe you realize that movie that you're about to catch, it's, it's getting close to starting. So you say amen. You wrap it up like, hey, brother, i got to get going. Be warm and well-fed. right?' James is saying, I mean, that, that is not the faith that Christians are to have. right? This is a faith um, that, that uses right words but has no action to it. And Paul calls it a dead faith. Like technically it is a faith, but it's dead on arrival. And if you've been in, in church for long or you've been going to churches for long enough, you know that eventually you can learn the lingo, right? Uh, someone that's never been to church before, they could they could pick up given some time, they could pick up on how to talk like a Christian, right? They they could have uh, the appearance of faith through their words, um, but, but their faith doesn't move them into action. James has no interest in a faith like that. He doesn't care about using the right words when they're detached from action. We recall back in James 1, we're to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And right? James says it is it is it is foolish to hear God's word, right? To know what it is that he asks of us and then walk away and do nothing, right? Maybe even forgetting what you've heard. Right? It's like coming to a church or like maybe coming to Christie's Bible study and getting into the word and like, "Oh yes, amen, I agree with that. Hallelujah." And then you drive away with zero change, no action. So again, James, in, in verse 15, he gives this, this illustration multiple times. Now. He's, he's talked about the poor in, in just two chapters. We've, we've heard about the poor many times. And maybe you don't consider yourself rich. Maybe, uh, maybe you do. But one thing that is clear is, is that God doesn't bless us with anything, whether it's uh, time, uh, skills, abilities, finances. Like He doesn't bless us with these things just so that we can enjoy them. Right now, now, certainly, he provides for you. You've got to take care of your responsibilities. You take care of your family, and it's fine to have nice things. Right? We're not saying that, but he doesn't pad your bank account or your retirement account just so you can incrementally grow in your comfort as you get older and older and older. No, he blesses us. He blesses his people so that we can be a blessing to the world. Right, so so that we can testify to who Jesus is, right? With our with our money, our skills, even our time, right? We ought to hold those things with open hands before the Lord, and say, God, how do you want me to use this, right? God, how how do I how do I use these things that you've given me to bless you, Lord, to love you? How do I how do I use this this talent that you've given me, right? Or this. I don't know this this thing, this possession you've given me to love people for you, Jesus. Um, I know I said I wasn't going to go to ETV this year. It's going to be the first year in forever that I'd missed. I couldn't hold back, so I went for like a day or so with my wife. We went up. It was a great time. But every time I go to camp, I'm I'm blown away. Uh, I'm blown away by all the volunteers that are there to make this camp happen. Like Rich said, there are, I think, 250 uh, students that were there, right? There's a lot of adults that need to be there with 250 students. And it's these adults that are giving up, you know, like a whole week's worth of vacation, Right, they're sleeping on the ground, or some of them maybe had trailers, right? So a trailer bed is a step up from sleeping on the ground. But still, it's not the same as, as sleeping in your own bed at home, right? And they're in a part of Oregon that it's just hot, like you just sweat the whole time. It's dusty. You should go next year. Um, uh, I realize I'm making it not sound great. It's awesome. But but there's sacrifice there, right? They're, they're putting on a camp for a week, so that these students can hear about Jesus and respond to him. I just, I love it. I love it. The youth pastors are the only ones that are paid to be there. The, the rest of them, man, they're giving up time. We've had so many adults from our church already this summer go uh, serve at Young Life Camps. So we have people that are, that, are with, uh, that are up at Malibu this week serving uh, with, with high schoolers. And then we've had others that have served with middle schoolers, right, so they can hear about Christ. And, and you know some of these kids won't respond to the gospel but man some of them will Right? Some, for some of them, they're, they're going to start life with Jesus this summer, and, and it's going to last forever. Right? We, we have uh, people that serve with track camps, our, our camp for um, uh, foster kids. Right? We have people that, that serve at Pathways Pregnancy Clinic. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. And, and I, know, I know a ton of you, you serve or you give to, to other um, nonprofit ministries in order to help, in order to help the gospel uh, be spread. Right? Your faith moves you to action, giving of yourself, giving of your resources. Here's what John wrote in 1 John three seventeen and 18. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Right, and, and some of us, maybe all of us, hear that, and our heart just leaps, right? Because we don't want to be Christians that talk big about Jesus, right? We, we don't want to be Christians that 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 have all this talk about trusting God, about loving God, loving people, right? But there's little, if any, of, of living out of our faith, right? Besides going to church or or, or joining Bible studies, we want this this First John three seventeen and eighteen faith. And then in 18, uh, in James chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, He defines faith uh, a little more clearly right? He gives this example. He says, like, okay, say someone boasts about their faith, right? They say, hey, I've got faith. That's all I need, right? Haven't you heard what Paul teaches, right? He, he preaches that faith is what justifies me. I've got it. That's all I need. And James says, man, show me that faith of yours, detached from works, and I'm going to show you my faith that is demonstrated by my works, Right now, belief is critical. Right, scripture is is very clear about that. We remember when we were in Acts, Acts chapter sixteen. Um, Paul, he's he's in jail. Right, he's he's got a real shackles, not just a little rope tied around him. He's got real shackles. Right, the the jail gates are closed. There's this earthquake in the middle of the night. The gates fall. The shackles fall off. Um, all of everyone in jail could have escaped, and the jailers freaking out, thinking that surely everyone has. So he's about to kill himself because he knows that that if even one one prisoner escapes, his life will be required of him. Well, Paul cries out, he says, no, don't do it, don't kill yourself. Everyone is here and the jailer's in disbelief. He calls for, for the torches to be brought in so the room can be lit up and he looks and everyone's there and he drops to his knees before Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But it's, it's not, belief isn't just some mental ascent, right? It's not just this, this intellectual, this mental exercise. It, it is this whole self-believing, right? It's, it's, whole, it's a whole person response to God. That's what this belief is in Scripture, Verse nineteen, James says, "You believe God is one." He's referring back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy six, the Shema, hero Israel: The Lord your God, the Lord is one." Right? He's talking about the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? This this, this one God, this mono uh, mono uh, sorry, this monotheism, not polytheism of the world. Right? So James says, "You believe that? Good job. Pat yourself on the back." Because even the demons believe that. It's humbling to realize that demons have better theology than you do. The demons have better theology than, than I do, right? The, the demons have better theology than, you know, insert your favorite theologian. Because they have, they have a type of belief. And in a way, their belief is spot on. They are correct about who God is right but there's something that is way off their right theology didn't lead them to worship god they rebelled their actions are contrary to these right beliefs that they have. So James is telling us, you can have a solid theology, right? You can memorize the creeds. You can, you can memorize huge swaths of scripture. You can win Bible trivia, right? You can win every theological debate in the circles that you run in, but it doesn't mean that you have a living faith. And my guess is you've probably met some people in, in church like that before. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verses 16 through 21. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, right? This is how you can tell. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus points out that there will be those who, who believed Jesus was Lord, but their belief didn't follow God. Right? It's the same faith that James is talking about. It's a faith without obedience. right? You can think of obedience as, as works. And, and James hates the faith that sounds legit. Right? It thinks correctly. It, it believes the right points. It uses the right lingo. But it makes zero difference in the life of that person. It's totally useless. It's like this. This is uh, the second generation iPad, right? This, this guy is over 11 years old. I just touched the home button as if it would do anything, knowing that it doesn't, right? This hasn't done anything for years and years and years. Uh, so technically, it is an iPad, um, but, but it's useless. Even, even if you could power this up anymore, um, it was so old that it wasn't compatible with the, the iOS system at the time, so the apps stopped working. You don't want faith that, that's, that's like this. And, and we've met Christians like that, super smart, right? They love to maybe spar on various theological topics, but their faith never seems to transform them. Even though intellectually there is belief, right? They have all the right words and that, that is it. It was the summer of of either 1991 or 1992. My buddies and I were in middle school, and we were determined to make some of the coolest tree houses that Clark County has ever seen. So it it wasn't just a tree house, or fort is probably a better word for it. It was more like the middle school boy equivalent to an Ewok village that we made. I'm not kidding. It was awesome. Um, I don't don't know where we got all this wood from. maybe I don't want to know um, but we, we we started we built maybe like 10 12 feet up in this cluster of like three trees and and built a platform and there was a wall that you know probably wasn't OSHA uh, good or whatever. Um, and, and that was cool, but we're like, no, we want more than that. So then there's another cluster of trees like 10, 15, 20 feet away. Uh, and we built a platform in that, no walls on that one. Then, then there was another one this direction. So it formed a triangle, right? And, and we had another platform. And man, we were so proud of what we did. But we're like, man, that's kind of lame that we got to go up one tree. And then back down to get to that platform and that platform. So we built what we called a rope bridge. But that just meant there was a low rope and a high rope. So that we could like shimmy across like 10 feet in the air. Obviously, you're a little lower with the with, with gravity pulling that rope down. Um, and that was cool for a while. Like we, we thought that was really fun. All of our friends were impressed. But then we're like, man, you know would be cooler? A second story. So we built a second story on all three platforms. And it was it was awesome. It was really high up. It was a little scary up there. We didn't have rails, which is super stupid. Um, but, but man, that thing was great. And, and we thought, okay, well, again, like, like the lower rope bridge, that's kind of cool, but we need something even better. And we didn't want a rope bridge this time. We wanted a zip line. So we're like, how do we make a zip line between these? And I think we only made one zip line, which was plenty. But from, from uh, the, the second store on this one, we had a slightly lower second store on this one. And we attached a rope across, right? And I was the Boy Scout. So I was in charge of all of the knots, and I did them really, really well, and we tested them. It could hold us. But then we're like, okay, so we've got the rope, but how do we get this thing across? Well, my friend, Big Al, um, which he wasn't big, but that just sounded cooler than Alan, so we called him Big Al. Um, big Al, he, he, he's like, what if we took PVC pipe, like this chunk of PVC pipe, and we'll have to untie the ropes, but we'll put that on there, and then we'll hold on and right across, right? And we're like, dude, you're smart, that sounds smart, let's do it. So um, we untie the knots, we put it up there, you know, we fling it back and forth several times, we're Like, yeah, it, it works, and uh, retie all the knots, double check them. Uh, if you were to go back to that day and, and inter- interview middle school Greg and say, Greg, do you, you have faith that that zip line works? I would say, yes, I tied those knots myself, I tested them. The backup knots have backup knots. Yes, those ropes are good. And then if you asked middle school Greg, Greg, are you gonna cross on that zip line? Ooh. So then you move on to Big Al, super smart, designer of this whole thing, easily the smartest one. Big Al, do you have faith that that zip line will work? Yes, sir. I designed that zip line myself. The angle is just right. It's not too steep. There's plenty of time to stop on the platform before you hit the tree. Even with the friction of the rope, the, the pipe will slide down. Big Al, are you going to cross that zip line? Oh, gosh. I'm training for soccer. I'd hate to get injured. Okay, move on. Russ, how about you? Russ, do you believe? Mm-hmm. Russ, are, mm-mm. So then we went to Brian. Brian was the crazy one of our group. Now, he might have done it more so just to show us that he would, um, e- even more than him actually believing that it would work. But, but Brian was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And he gets up there, and, man, I'm praying. I don't know about my friends, but I'm praying. Because it, it seriously was, man, in my memory, it's like 20 feet up. Maybe it was less than that. But it, it was pretty high up. Like if Brian falls, we're all getting in trouble, right? Um, <laughs> Brian drips on, jumps off that platform, goes flying, almost hits the tree. But Big Al was right. Well, you could stop before the tree. Um, he proved it worked, right? All of us believed, but who had faith? Brian had faith. And now, eventually we all did it. Um, and I don't remember who went next. I don't, I don't remember for sure when I went. My guess is I went last. Um, but, but each of us, uh, once we went we had a we had a different type of faith, right? We we went from the 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 intellectual one that said yes, I believe that zip line will work. I trust those knots, right? I, I trust that 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 we'll be able to make, make it across. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, but then we had a faith once we once we stepped off that platform that was demonstrated by action, right? It, it was different to live out the faith in the zip line by jumping off that platform. And James is describing a faith that believes, right? It's a faith that jumps off that platform into action as we follow Jesus, right? It's a faith that doesn't just say, yes, God, I believe in you. I will follow you. But no, it follows through in action, demonstrating a genuine faith. In verse 20, James says, do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? And then he goes into a couple examples here in 21 through 26, these two examples of, of faith uh, of faiths that work. Um, first he starts with Abraham right in verse 22 he, he writes that, that that faith was active along with his works and then in 23 it says Abraham believed and it was, it was counted as righteous um, and, and this is a quote from Genesis 15:6. Right. One scholar writes about the word "believe" in Genesis fifteen. He says this is the biggest word in the whole chapter. Right, meaning that Abraham's belief was huge. It was critical, and in fact, this is the first time the word "believe" is used in Scripture. And as you read through the Bible, you realize what an important word it is. See, Abraham was told that he was going to be the father of nations even though he didn't have a single kid yet he certainly didn't have a son that could carry on the line but god he says go 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 outside your tent look up at the stars right that's what it's going to be like too many too many to count and it says abraham believed that was, that was faith right jesus himself tells us how crucial belief is john 6:29 Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Right? Jesus says the, this, this work, this first work is, is to believe. Right? You, you have faith in God by believing. Back to James 2.24. James says, "Right, talking about Abraham, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So James uses the patriarch Abraham as his first example of faith that works. Right, And, and it's, it's fascinating that, that Paul, back in Romans 4, he uses Abraham as well. Um, same spot, Genesis 15, 6. So Romans 4, this is what Paul says, 4, 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as as righteousness James back in verse 21 he, he points back to Abraham with his son Isaac right he, he, he was promised this son he's given this son in his old age long after he should have been able to have uh, a, a kid. he's promised it God gives him the son, his son's growing up he's getting older and God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son right? I want you to give your son up as an offering uh, to me right what? Right, that, that is crazy, but Scripture says that Abraham believed God, right? He trusted God. He believed He believed that God could raise his son up from the dead, that God was good for his promise. So he gets his son up on the altar, he takes out the knife, he's ready to sacrifice him you know, to God. And God says, "Stop. And God provides this, this ram in the thicket that, that will be the offering. And God says, I see that you believe me. I see that you trust me and you follow what I say. And James writes, Abraham believed, right? He had, he had faith and he obeyed. Those are the, the works, right? His faith and his works w- were together, right? They're in tandem. So this is a, it's a faith that works, right? It's a faith that is useful. It's a faith that is living. It's a genuine faith. It's an active faith. It's a faith that saves, Right? Notice James writes, "Justified uh, by works, not by faith alone." Or it might be helpful for you to read that as, uh, "Not by faith that is alone," right? Because that's the problem according to James, and according to Paul and the rest of the biblical authors as well. Now, now we don't take from this, right, that that Paul or James or anyone else is, is saying that that works is what saves us, right? Paul is is writing about. Uh, faith, n- not works, bringing us to salvation, right? So this is this is pre-conversion. This is pre-coming uh, to salvation. And then James is writing about a faith that is lived out, uh, works once you are saved, right? That moment of conversion, of coming to trust in Jesus is an instant, right? So it's faith that brings you here. You're saved in an instant. You've, you've got a faith that, that works, right? It's kind of like a, a light switch. If you uh, flip on, A light switch, what you expect is for a light to come on instantly, right? There's no delay. And you know that the switch did it, but it happens so fast that that you almost can't tell if it happened at the exact same time. But you, you flip that switch, right? The circuit is completed, and bam, the lights are on. Right? So the, the faith that leads to our salvation, it isn't because of works, but it's like that light switch moment, right? This, this faith that, that brings you to salvation, it's a, it's a real faith, as James would say. It, it's, not, it's not a dead faith. It's not a useless faith. Uh, it's not a faith that's, that's simply uh, this, this, this mental ascent, but it's a faith that's, that's transformational. So you get saved and, and you're alive, you're responsive to God. So instantly that switch is flipped and, and you're saved by this faith, and it's a faith that begins to work. Right? It's a faith that begins to respond to God. We looked at titles for this series, and you know, we look at what other churches uh, have come up with so that we can you know, kind of brainstorm. And, and so many churches had titles that, that said something like, Faith that Works, for the, the whole series of James. Because faith in Jesus is not a faith that is alone, but it's a faith that responds to God. It's a faith that works. And Paul would agree. Last week we looked at Galatians 5.13, a few verses earlier in 5.6, it says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Right, James and Paul are both concerned that we have a faith that that is active. It's a faith that works. Works don't save us, right? We do not earn salvation. We're justified by faith, but it's a very specific type of faith. It's a faith that, that is working or a faith that is responsive to who God is, right? As he works in you and through you. So, the Christian faith is a faith that changes you from the inside out. It's a faith that is not alone. It's joined with works, as they are uh, works, the outpouring of our faith. I read someone uh, who, who compared it to, uh, to two wings working together, right? Working in tandem. The, the wing of faith would, would prove to be useless without the wing of works, but together, man, they soar. Right, the Christian faith is flying as, as as their good works are simply responding to who God is. Right, to loving God, to loving people. It's a faith that works as the Holy Spirit leads us. Right, doing in in the Christian what the Christian could never do on their own as the Spirit is working for them or in them. And look at verse 25, right? Okay, Abraham, we get that example, right? He's a superhero of Scripture. But then James throws this, this curveball at us, right? James is one of those guys that, that loves to, like, make you think really hard. So he gives you a different angle and, and pushes you in a different way. So he gives us a different superhero, uh, an unlikely one named Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. This is a woman uh, who lived in Jericho. Uh, she'd been used and abused for years, she, she is a means to an end for men's pleasure. And, and I'm, I'm not even sure that we can grasp what, what that does to your soul over time. And we don't know the details, but somehow Rahab heard about Yahweh. right? Maybe, maybe as men were coming into Jericho and, and, and they were possibly choosing her, she'd hear them talk about, about this Yahweh and about this nation, Israel. Right, this tiny nation that, that had no business of being known by anyone, but, but that their God had saved them from slavery, from the mighty Egypt, and, and that they'd gone and they'd conquered city after city. Now she lived, like I said, in Jericho. She lived right in the wall, and the walls uh, of Jericho were, were something. Right? They were believed to be impenetrable. Many had tried and all had failed. But she heard about God, and she put her faith in Yahweh. She knew that this God of Israel was mighty. So she comes across the spies, these messengers from Israel. And we don't get the details, but God leads her to, to hide those spies, right, to cover for them, to even tell them how to escape. And you think about how scary this must have been for her. Right here, two men in her home. No one knows they're there. Did she wonder, like, are these men going to take advantage of me like almost every other man in my life always has? But God led her to take them in and to hide them. She had faith that hid them on the roof. She had faith that, that lied for them when, when people from the city came asking uh, uh, of the whereabouts of these spies. She had faith that advised them how to safely get back to their people. She had faith that even though her city would be destroyed, um, that, that God would save her through these spies. Right. So we see this faith that worked. James is after a faith that is action-oriented. Right James isn't encouraging us to work our way into salvation. He wants us to know that there's a brand of faith that's useless. It's dead. He wants us to have a real faith, a genuine faith. So we have to ask ourselves, as we look into this mirror, do we have faith that works? Right, a faith that trusts God, that follows God, follows the Holy Spirit wherever he leads us. A faith that loves God and, and loves people, not not just with words, but, but in action and in truth. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, uh, we don't ever want to be a people whose faith would be described as useless or, or dead. And, and yet, I'm sure every one of us can relate to times where we feel like our faith, faith is useless. I'm guessing that, that there are people in the room, or people watching online, that that as they look in that mirror, they realize, man, their faith has been on autopilot for a long time. God, we, we, we confess that, 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 man, we're... We're so good at, at, at coming to your word, seeing that that reflection in the mirror, and just walking away, Lord. That we we can become hearers of your word and not doers of your word, Lord. We want to be we want to be people filled with faith that that follows you, that that works, that's obedient to you, Jesus. God, we need you to continually transform us. And we know we know we we won't get it perfectly right. We know that that we'll fall flat on our face over and over again, but Lord. We trust that as you are growing us, there will be progress. You'll make us more and more into the image of your son. Jesus, we love you. We love you for your word, and we want your word to take root in us, to actually transform us, to actually change us so that we're a people that are living for you, not just in the walls of this church or at a Bible study, but but everywhere we go, a people that would, would boldly follow you wherever you lead us to, Jesus. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.